you know, I went to see my mom. It was her 80th birthday uh, this week. And uh, so all she wanted for her birthday was for her son to show up. And uh, so I, I went down there and celebrated birthday with my mom. And uh, while I was down there celebrating her birthday, my mom, as some of you know, I've heard my stories about my mom, she loves to bake. And so she, I'm the only one coming down. She and my dad are diabetic, so they can't have a lot of sweets. So my mom baked me a pineapple upside down cake this big. And then she baked me peanut butter cookies. And then she baked me a new recipe, a Coca-Cola cake. There's Coca-Cola in the cake and in the frosting, like a sheet cake. And I'm sitting there thinking, Mom, I can't eat all this in one sitting. So, you know, it was a labor of love this week, going through all that food. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. I just want to let you know what I was doing this week, all right? And you're the only service I told. So does that make you feel special? Anyway... Turn to Luke, will you? Luke chapter 10. I want you to rest your Bibles, open that passage. And I want to tell you about a parable of a man in a pit. This man fell into the pit and he couldn't get out. And a uh, person came walking by. Um, and the person who came walking by was a subjective kind of person. And they said, man, I feel your pit. And they moved on. And then an objective person came by and they said, I can see how somebody like you could fall in a pit like that. Then a mathematician came walking by, and the mathematician pulled out a pencil and a pad of paper and made some formulas and computations, tore it off, threw it down the pit, and said, "Uh now this is how you actually fell in the pit. An IRS agent came walking by and said, have you paid taxes on your pit? A Christian fundamentalist walked by and said, you deserve to be in your pit. A Christian charismatic walked by and said, close your eyes, confess you're not in a pit. A self-pitying person walked by and said, that pit ain't nothing. You ought to see the one I was in. A little while later, an optimist walked by and said, it'll be okay, you'll get out of your pit. Then a pessimist came by and the pessimist said, it's only going to get worse in your pit. Finally, Jesus walked by and he didn't say anything. He just reached his hand down in the pit, grabbed the man's hand and pulled him out of the pit. I'll ask you a question. What would you do if you walked by that pit? And before you answer, because I know all of you want to say, oh, of course I'd reach down and I would help. Before you answer that question, I want you to ask yourself another question. Who is in the pit? Who is in the pit? He was a religious scholar. Ph.D. in theology, knew the Old Testament law like the back of his hands. And he decided to test the unradical rabbi from Galilee. And his test question was this, Jesus, what must a person do in order to have eternal life? And Jesus, using the way of dialogue back then, uh, turned around and said, well, you're the expert in the law. You've got your Ph.D., so to speak. You tell me, what is your understanding of the law? How do you read the law? And the man responded with the words that are in our text this morning in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the man said, well, my reading of the law is that you should love God with all, every fiber of your being. And when you see someone else, you should love them the way you would want to be loved, the way you would love yourself. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus responded and said, you have answered correctly. 
Do this and you will live. And I think we can look at that word live in two ways. Do this and you'll really be alive. You really feel alive. If you love God with all your heart, love others with all your heart. But it also means in the context that you'll have eternal life. You'll really live. And you assume that the story is over and that the deal is done. But it's not. It's not. The guy goes on in this passage of scripture. And he has to kind of poke Jesus again. And he says to him, well... Well, who is, my, who is my neighbor? Or another way of putting it is, well, who, who is in the pit? And Jesus answers with one of the most famous stories that he ever told, which is the story of who? You guys know, right? The Good Samaritan. And listen to what Jesus says in the passage. He replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and banished his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and what? Go and do likewise. Now, the problem with a story like the Good Samaritan story is we all have a tendency, because we know it so well, to kind of romanticize it and say, ooh, cool story. I remember that in Sunday school. Or I really like that story. That's a good story. But I want to tell you something, that when Jesus told that story to his primarily Jewish audience, it was a scandalous story. It was an offensive story. It was kind of like a little verbal slap in the face and would have put this man a little bit back on his heels because, in a sense, the guy had been caught by Jesus' story. And Jesus has a way of sneaking up on us with his stories, doesn't he? And I want to suggest to you that not only was that a scandalous story for Jesus' audience in those days, but it's still a scandalous story for Jesus' audience today. And I'm talking primarily to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. This story is a scandal. Let me show you why. Let's talk about the geography in the story for a minute. Jesus, even though he makes up the story, is picturing a real place and a real road that stretched from Jerusalem up on the hill, down to Jericho, which was nearly at the bottom of the, uh, at the uh, lowest level on earth, the Dead Sea. And most of the priests lived in Jericho, and of course people went up to Jerusalem to worship. And so you had this scene of this road, now known as the Wadi Kilt, that was used frequently by people as the main thoroughfare going up and down. And it was treacherous, sharp curves, rocky terrain. I'd been on the uh, archaeological remains that they found of that road. But what really made it treacherous and dangerous was the fact that there were thugs and robbers who would hide and prey on unsuspecting people and rob them and sometimes leave them half dead or dead. So when he tells the story, people are going, yep, I can see where it is. Oh, yeah, I can imagine how that happened. I may even know somebody to whom that happened. And Jesus says that the man is attacked. 
The man is probably a Jewish man in the context of the story, and he's left half dead, which means he's unconscious. If somebody doesn't help, this guy is going to what? He's going to die. Lo and behold, two religious men come down from Jerusalem on their way to Jericho, a priest and a Levite. The priest had a little bit more clout. The Levite had a little less clout. But both of them were religious individuals who were involved in the worship and ministry up in Jerusalem. They come separately. They're not together. But both of them end up walking around as far as they can without falling off the edge of that trail and avoiding that dead man. And both of them could have justified their actions on religious grounds. They've just been, they've just been up doing, you know, uh, religious activity, religious duty. And if they stop and they go and help that man and they get too close, the danger is they will, they will contaminate themselves. They'll be rendered unclean. If they're rendered unclean, guess what they have to do? They've got to go all the way back up to Jerusalem, go through some rituals, spend some money on some sacrifices, stand there and be declared clean again. It's a little bit embarrassing when you're a priest or a Levite to have to go through that. And then go all the way back down again. Besides, how do they know that this isn't a setup anyway? That maybe this guy's just pretending he's injured and behind the rocks are the other thugs and they're just going to jump on the people that help. Or maybe there's nobody behind the rocks. Maybe the guy's just laying there faking. He's got a knife in his hand and when they bend over to help, he's going to grab them and put the knife to the throat and, and take everything that they have. How do they know that? They don't. And so they walk on by. Now, at this point, you know, some folks might have felt a bit uncomfortable with that, but they could have kind of understood it culturally and religiously speaking. But here's where Jesus throws a scandal into the story. He introduces a man who's coming along the way who is a what? What's he called? A Samaritan, right? And you expect the Samaritan is going to do the same thing. In fact, if anybody had a right to do the same thing, it would have been the Samaritan because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. They were part of the people who were conquered in 721 and the northern tribes of Israel were intermarried by the Assyrians and other nations and they... They uh, uh, blended in with them, and they also kind of corrupted the law. And so a, a Jew would avoid Samaritan territory at all costs. In fact, it's an interesting story in the Gospels when the disciples go into a Samaritan town to get some supplies, refreshments for Jesus. And the Samaritans say, we don't want you, and we don't want him. And they go back to Jesus, and they say, should we call fire down from heaven to zap them? It's a loose Aramaic translation of what Jesus said. He said, no, chill out. And he just said, it's like, oi, they, you know, these guys, you know, want to zap people for it. And they just moved on. So there's that animosity exists. With that kind of animosity, you can imagine a Samaritan coming along and seeing this and saying, you know, I'm going to spit in your pit. <laughs> you know, this is where, you know, the way you guys treat us, I'm glad this happened to you. But he doesn't. He gets off his donkey, he ministers to the man, perhaps brings him back to consciousness, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a hotel, checks him in, pays the fee, says, when I come back, if it's not paid, or if he has more needs, I'll cover it. Now, what was Jesus trying to say to them and to us by means of that story? I think what he's trying to communicate to us is this. That to be a good Samaritan follower of Jesus, or let's say together, to be a good Samaritan church, is to recognize that everybody and anybody you find in a pit is your neighbor. 
when I look at this passage of Scripture, there's something conspicuously absent in it. You know what's absent in this story that Jesus tells? There are no preconditions. Did you notice that? There's absolutely no preconditions. Anybody and everybody that you ever stumble across or come across in a pit, you are obligated to help. Now, if anybody could have had preconditions, it could have been the Samaritan, don't you think? He could have come riding along, looked down, kind of put some water on the guy and revived him back, you know, to where he's kind of conscious again. Maybe start talking to him and by, by his accent or whatever, he discovers the guy's Jewish. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Samaritan is holding him. You know, if I was making a movie, I'd have him just kind of drop him. Guy goes back on the ground. And, and, and I can imagine looking down at him and saying, hey, you, do you know, you know what I am? The guy's like half conscious. I don't know who you are. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Samaritans and Jews, we disagree with each other. We don't like each other. You guys think Jerusalem's where you're supposed to worship. We believe it's on Mount Gerizim. You guys think you have the law. We have the real law. I don't know if I want to help you. Let me think about it. I thought about it. I'm going to help you. But first, I need you to say, I love Samaritans. I can't hear you. A little louder, please. That's right. And before I help you, I want to share with you the four laws of Samaritanism. First of all, admit that you're not a Samaritan. Come on. Secondly, I want you to confess that you need to become a Samaritan. And thirdly, I want you to convert to Samaritanism. Do you promise to do that? Okay, I'll help you. Do you hear that in the story anywhere? Not, not anywhere at all. If you're going to be a, a good Samaritan follower of Jesus, if, you're going to be, if we're going to be a good Samaritan church, we have to be willing, we have to understand that anybody and everybody we come across in the pit deserves to be rescued. Now, let me ask you my question I asked when we started. Are you willing to be a good Samaritan follower of Jesus? Before you say yes, I want you to answer this question. Who's in your pit? You know, there are some people that if I, if I came across them in the pit, I would help them no questions asked, no problem. If I saw a, a child in a pit, if I saw a single mom or a single dad in the pit, if I saw... a a defenseless, per, defenseless person in the pit, if I saw an injured person in the pit, if I saw a really poor person in the pit, if I saw an abused person in the pit, no doubt I would jump in if I had to to get them out of the pit. I have no problem with that. But let me ask you this question. What if you were traveling along and all of a sudden you came across the pit and you looked down there and you saw a liberal Democrat down there with Obama and Biden Biden stickers all over the pit. What would you do? Or what if you were moving along and you came across and you saw a truly Rush Limbaugh conservative Republican down in the pit with McCain and and, uh, 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 stickers, uh, Palin stickers everywhere on the pit? Would you help? What if, what if it was a, a, a manager of a Planned Parenthood 
clinic. Would you help? What if it was a, a, a homosexual or a lesbian? Would you help? What if, it was a, what if it was a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist? Would you help? See, whether we like it or not, there are some people that we would be tempted, if nobody else was looking, to just quietly walk around the side because we don't really want to help some kinds of people. If we're honest with each other, right? But if you're going to be a, a good Samaritan follower of Jesus, if you're going to truly be a, if we're going to truly be a good Samaritan church, we help anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter what political persuasion they are. It doesn't matter what, what their sin issue is. We all have our sin issues, right? It does not matter. We're going to help. And by the way, I want to talk just a minute to those of you who are under the age of 30 because those folks who are under the age of 30 in our country right now, are turning away from the church. You've heard me say that. And one of the biggest reasons why is they see our hypocrisy. They hear about what we stand against, but they never see that we're for anyone. They don't see us reaching out and helping people who are different or of opposite persuasions of us. And I just want to say to that segment who may be in this room, and I know a bunch over here, that, that I apologize for the church in America today that we have become so politicized and we have become so so bigoted toward other groups and other people. And you know what? I'm not saying we need to agree with them. I can't agree with a lot that's out there today because it is sin. But that doesn't mean I can't show God's mercy and God's compassion. Isn't that what Jesus did with his, quote, perceived enemies? And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? God forbid in this political season that we polarize and we take a side other than God's side, and I'll tell you right now, God has not chosen a political party. Just get that out of your system. You need to understand all humanity is corrupt. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his word. And that's the question you have to answer. And we've got to get beyond that into ministry. And please don't send me emails. I won't read them. Don't send me letters, all right? I have enough pressure on me, you know, to represent one party or another. I'm not representing anybody except God. And you can make up your mind who you think best represents that. All right? But the thing we ought to be doing, that we're area we need to be activistic in, is showing the compassion of Jesus Christ. Because that, that's what I hear Jesus saying in this passage. But I want to make you even more uncomfortable than I haven't already. Please don't be angry with me, okay? Uh, Here's the third deal. Aren't there some people in your life that you know if you saw, if they saw you in the pit, they wouldn't help you out? On a different day, reverse the circumstances here. Will you do that with me? On a different day, it could be a Samaritan who's laying on the trail, and it could be this Jewish man who comes walking by and chooses to walk around the other side. And there's some people in your life and my life that right now, if they found us in the pit because they don't like our politics or they don't like our philosophy or they don't like the way we do things, they would leave us there. You know they would, don't you? The question is, if they were in the pit, would you treat them the same? When I was thinking about this passage, I thought about Dan Fuller. I've told you about him before. He was a bully in junior high who would just bully me and beat up on me and gave me a fat lip and he gave me a bloody nose. And you know why? All because I was there. You ever had, you ever, I mean, you ever notice, you ever wonder why people treat you the way they do at work or at school 
or in the neighborhood. And honestly, you've never done anything wrong. It's just because you're there. Anybody feel my pain? Any subjective people out there? All right. There's a whole bunch of objective people out there that goes, well, that's just what happens to you. But anyway, uh, you know what I mean? And, and, I, and when I thought about this passage, I thought, if I saw Dan Fuller in a pit, I am telling you what. Whoa, if you weren't looking. I thought about some other people in my life who I've had people lie about me. Have you ever had people lie about you? You know what I mean? I can think of people right now who have hurt me deeply that I tell you what, it was up to me. And you weren't looking, I'd be sorely tempted to leave them in the pit. But then, what's my religion at that point? Boy, Jesus brought this home in Matthew chapter 6. This, this stings a little bit. Or Matthew 5. Listen to what he says to you and me, Jesus followers. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're a real child of God, you'll love your enemies and you'll pray for those who hurt you. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that and the sinners of their day? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, hey, it's one deal for you to love the people that are easy to love or the people who are like you or look at life like you. But when you can love people who are, who are your enemies, who oppose you, and you can love them and speak well of them and show compassion to them, now that's religion. Now, Jesus is saying, now you're showing that, you're my, that you belong to me. Because that's what Jesus did. Amen. And you know what? It's so interesting in this passage that Jesus ties this all to eternal life. He says, when you love God and love others that way, you have eternal life. It almost sounds like he's saying you can earn your salvation. You can earn eternal life. But that's not what he's saying. Because you see, the only way you can love people like that is you already have to have Jesus in your heart. You already have to have Jesus in your heart. Yeah, the problem with so many of us, if we have him locked up in our heart, and we need to unleash him. We need to let him have full control of our hearts. And so we are endeavoring in our vision to be transforming agents in our world to launch a compassion ministry to anybody and everybody we meet in the pit. And I'm excited to share its beginnings with you today. So I'm going to ask one of the members of our church, Doug Tobin, to come up here and join me. Would you give Doug a hand? <clears throat> You know, one of, the, one of the questions I've heard posed that kind of haunts me a little bit is this question. Let's, let's say all of us were evaporated out of here today. Not the rapture, okay? I mean, I, I'd be happy for the rapture today, all right? But let's just say for whatever reason we were all taken and removed from this whole area. Would our communities, and we serve far more communities than Naperville, would our communities miss us? I have to tell you, in all honesty, I don't think they would. I could think of some Christian organizations that might miss us, but I don't think our communities that large would miss us. You know, we might make the paper, you know, what happened to them type of thing, but I don't think they would miss us. And that bothers me. I want our communities to miss us. Not because of what we stand against. And by the way, I, you know, I affirm on God's word 
Don't mistake me. I want them to miss us because of who we stand for. Jesus and people who are hurting and have needs who are different than us. I want us to, I want us to so minister that our community can't imagine having us not in their midst. Don't you think that would be a good thing? Well, three of you do. Don't you think that would be a good thing? That the world would miss us? So you thinkers, I want you to think about that right now. If the American church was extracted from the United States right now, how badly would our country miss us? I'm not sure it's what you and I would want to hear. So we want to make a difference. And, and Doug and his wife Amy and their brand new uh, baby Samuel, they just adopted. Isn't that cool? All right? Part of our church. And uh, uh, Doug, I want you to tell me uh, a little bit about how you have uh, led the ministry to uh, New Orleans with Katrina. You, you were kind of the guy that spearheaded that here. Tell us about that. Yeah, God really put that in my heart um, the summer before Katrina happened. It was a time in my life we were going through fertility and later led to the beautiful adoption of our son Samuel. And uh, I got to the point in my life where I just, uh, I finally realized and I, I admitted to God that he was in charge and I wasn't. And I offered God my life, and I said, use me in some way. And I didn't know what that meant. And Katrina hit that August. And uh, if you can remember the pictures, the visual, the helicopter shots of people being rescued off of houses and floods and fire. And that just haunted me. It just tore up me from within. And uh, God just put a call in my heart. And the first time in my life had ever happened. And I told him no for two months. I said, God, there's someone else can do that. I'm kind of afraid. I don't know how to do that. I've never really served like that before. And... Uh, and finally, we just got a group of people here together. And since then, we've had over 100 people go down right here from this church, uh, eight volunteer teams. Uh, we've had countless of uh, you guys volunteer and, and, and bring in items to, uh, from backpacks to, uh, to food, to things for them. And it's just uh, been an incredible ministry down there um, to, to reach out to those in need. And, uh, man, they are really, out, really in need. And we go out to a house down there, and we'd speak to a homeowner, and they'd just be blown away. They'd say, well, you just came from Chicago. You drove 900 miles. You took a week off of vacation and you paid to be here why are you here it it, un- it, it unnerves people um you know there's te- tend to have a hardened uh, attitude towards it and it just softened them and then we were able to share the gospel and one of the big things that the model is the phrases um uh, when we got down there that we found out was preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words okay i want him to say that again i want Slowly. you to listen carefully preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words and that just became such a visual um, of being able to reach out to those in need. All right. So, Doug, as, as we think about how our church, and, and we do have ways that we show compassion, and I, a lot of our folks are very involved in, in the community helping others, but as we try to kind of come together, mobilize together, um, I know one of the key ways we'll do is through small groups, things like that, but, but how do you see it happening here? Yeah, I mean, you look at the scripture, Matthew five sixteen says, let your light shine or let your good deeds shine for all to see so that they may praise your heavenly Father. That's the goal of our ministry here, that we would get out and reach those in need, whoever's in the pit, that we would be the person that would be reaching uh, down. And that's really our vision for this ministry, whether it be an individual, a family, a small group, or a church-wide event. And again, the church is, is, is not a building here. Uh, we're the body of Christ. The church is people. Um, and so that's, that, that's the type of uh, vision that we have for this ministry. Um, and then there, there, there may be some of you, as Dale mentioned, out there serving. We want to partner with you. We want to take that to the next level and uh, really become uh, known as a church uh, that, that loves okay. and that helps people. In your worship folder is this card with the autumn leaves, and I'd like you to take it out for just a minute because we want to start this slowly and carefully and do it well. We're not just jumping out with 100 activities, and we want to build this. And Doug's looking for some people to help 
an area of leadership for this. So, for instance, if you come down to the third box, I'm interested in helping lead a local compassion ministry. If you have had experience with that in the business or uh, uh, nonprofit world or in the church and, and are good at leading that kind of stuff, please check that and give us your information. But we've got a couple events coming up that we can already get involved with. Do you want to talk about Harvest Weekend? Yeah, we've got Harvest Weekend coming up. and uh, It's on the left side of your card, November 8th and 9th. Um, we're par- partnering with two local food pantries, Woodridge Community Pantry just down the street and Lowe's and Fish is right here in Naperville. Um, they've both uh, said that the, the need is up 30 to 40 percent this year. Um, and so they're, you know, as I think about, you know, um, Lois Rab's father praying for uh, soup, what families out there are praying for food that we could contribute as a congregation, that we could look in our, in our pantries and go out to the stores and buy and bring in. So on November 8th and 9th, we'll have a, um, a trailers out front where you can bring in um, um, foodstuffs and items. If you look in the uh, EFCN Life, there's an article in there about compassion, the new ministry, and it's got a list there. We'll also have that up on the website this week as well. All right, and then next week we'll maybe give them a list, all right? Absolutely. And then we also have Operation Christmas Child, which uh, Joe and the Children's Family Ministry is sponsoring. If you'd like more information about that, putting these little boxes together for kids for Christmas, you can go to their little uh, area that's got like a little awning or porch kind of setting, and you can pick up information about that. And then um, we've got uh, Rake and Run that is coming up, and uh, that's for... Very good. But it's not just for our youth, it's for adults as well. So if you have a rake and could bless somebody by raking their lawn for them. That would be one way to get involved. And, and uh, we've got these cool shirts that we want from now on. We want to get our folks to wear when they're out doing their compassion stuff. It says EFCN Touch Local. By the way, we're talking about western suburbs, even downtown Chicago, that we hope God will use us in. On the back, it says the church is not a building. And on the bottom, it says I am the church. Is that cool or what? <laughs> that's, that's theology, folks. The church is not a building, right? The church, the church is people. It's you and me. And when we come together, God can do mighty things. And uh, one of the ministries that I know Dave Gruthson, our, our uh, youth pastor, has us involved in. Yeah, what do he pay you for that? Anyway, is uh, feed, feed my starving children. Just kidding. Feed my starving children. And um, we're really going to try to take this to the next level. And I, I want to share a video with you from a... Um, a a student in our church, I believe Gabrielle is about nine years of age. And when I did a message a while back, I used a video clip from Pay It Forward. How many remember that? Oh, seven of you, okay. No, more than that, all right. And remember it was that teacher who says, change the world. This, this kid walks out and he, you know, he, he leads a movement, right? Well, Gabrielle was in that service, heard that message, saw that video clip, and she went to her neighborhood and put posters out and stuff about helping with the ministry that is known as Feed My Starving Children. And I want you to listen to her story. Let's watch. I have my friend Paige's birthday party, and when you get to Feed My Starving Children, you have to wear hair nuts. And you go into this one room where you see a video, and the video shows clips of children Dying. 18,000 children under the age of five die every day from starvation. Um, some people will tell you that number is higher. In the video, I saw this little baby who was he was dying, but then Feed My Starving Children came right away and gave him food, and now he's he looks great. We're a um, 
Christian nonprofit that was started in 1987 up in Minneapolis, um, and that we've been shipping food to third world countries since then. You go and wash your hands, and you go to this one room where you package food, and then at the end when you're all done, they say how many boxes that you made, and you they, everybody who's there prays over the boxes. In 2003, we did 3 million meals. Um, last year, we did 43 million meals. Um, this year, we're going to do over 70 million meals. I was just thinking how helpful that is, and I want to get more people to join to, to help. I went to FemarsharingChildren.com, and they had all these pictures. So I picked one picture to put on my flyer. And I wrote about everything, and I did the locations where it is, and showed that all practically all the money goes to the food. I went around the neighborhood, passed it out to a lot of mailboxes, and... Did you receive any responses from your flyers? Yes. Why would it be important for other people to join in? Mm, to get more boxes to send help. Our motto is feeding God starving children hungry in body and spirit. And the hungry in body are over in third world countries. Um, some of the hungry in spirit are over there but we believe we're feeding the hungry in spirit here also. Um, and we know that um, what kids are led to know and trained to do as children, that's what they're going to grow up to do. And when you and I leave this earth, when we're not able to work anymore, who's the next generation going to be? Who's going to carry on that torch? And then who's going to pass it to their children? All right, awesome. I'm going to let uh, Doug go on out to the missions booth there. So if you want to talk to him specifically about getting involved, you'll be able to do that. Right now, though, would you fill this out? Tell us what you are interested in. Tear off the other side. Keep it, and uh, the ushers will collect it. And uh, I'll be quiet for just a minute while you do that. But don't leave yet, please. So just pass them into the middle. By the way, last weekend we gave our cantaloupes to Wayside Mission. They were very grateful, and this weekend we're going to do the same thing again. This is our last message in the cantaloupe series talk about using our resources now we're talking about using our hands and our feet letting God use us in a great way I don't know about you I just I'm so excited about this this feels like this is what church is supposed to be taking the gospel to the streets do you agree And uh, we're going to have a compassion highlight in our worship services on a regular basis just to let you know what's going on. And uh, I just hope this place fills up with men and women who experience God's grace. Now, with all that said, I want to say just two more things, then I'll let you go. Number one, our, our nation truly, the world, and I really believe we are very close to the last days, if not in them. We are just at a crossroads, and it is pretty scary out there. But you and I don't have to panic. We have God to trust. 
in the process of trusting God, you and I do need, we do need to vote. We do need to share in that system what we believe, what we stand for. And I do urge you to prayerfully consider making the choice that you believe would best honor uh, would best honor morality and best honor truth. But that has to be your choice that you make after prayer, all right? I'm not here to tell you what that choice should be. But I want to make this very, very clear, folks. Listen, we are not going to change the world through politics. Do you understand that? And we're not going to change the world through religion as just a formality and just a ritual. We will change the world, however. I believe this all my heart if we will demonstrate the love of God in our individual lives and in our church life together, if we will just show the mercy of God to whomever we come across in the pit, anybody and everybody, that is where revival will start. Because people have been hearing the American church for a long time. And they've gotten pretty used to us and our hypocrisy. What they need to experience is the genuineness of God's grace in our lives. And I believe that's what we have to be about. It's what the church, early church was about. It's about what the church needs to return to. Amen. Let's all stand together. If you're a guest, I'd love to see you in the guest center. Father, as we go from this place today, get ready to start a new series. May we come back with our friends and our guests. May it be life-changing. God, you know, you know right now our nation is in a crisis. We're all asking for wisdom to know what we should do as we cast our votes here in, in a matter of days. We pray, Lord, that whoever ends up leading this nation, Father, that they will drop on their knees and look to you. And we pray, O oh God, that we would be obedient in supporting them, Lord, with our prayers. Father, we don't put our faith in a man or a man or a woman put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe the church, Lord, could do more for this nation than any political party. So help us to become leaders of that movement. And may it start with us. May it start with me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.